Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so happy you came on a rainy day. And don't you love it that the windows are open and we can experience the light of all of that? Since my dad was an army officer, we moved almost every year of my life. So really, no matter where we moved, no matter where, the minute that we pulled into the driveway and the moving uh, van arrived just a few minutes later, military families showed up in spades, just coming with helping hands, food, information, all kinds of love and encouragement. It was the most amazing welcome every time, and it took the sting out of not knowing anybody. Well, I will never forget when I was a rising junior in high school. We moved from Washington, D.C., where my dad had been stationed at the Pentagon, to Orlando, Florida. And I will never forget pulling into the driveway. The moving van came just a few minutes later. And after about two hours of unloading and unpacking, my sister and I walked to the front door of our home, and we opened the front door, and we looked to the left, we looked to the right, and we looked at each other and said, where is everybody? And we were genuinely perplexed that the neighbors hadn't come with the big welcome we were expecting and all that love and all those hugs and all that encouragement. Now, mind you, we ended up having the most amazing neighbors. They really were. It's just that Carolyn and I didn't quite realize as we were perplexed, that we had experienced welcome in the military in such a way that was really quite unique. Now, I don't know what you were expecting when you came through the doors of First Pres this morning, but we want you to know that you are welcome here, that this is a place where you can always come just as you are, where you can be fully seen with people to whom you can be fully known and with God in whom you are fully loved. My 11-year-old friend, Caitlin Cowley, certainly figured that out. On the day before the first Prez grand opening, which was about three weeks ago, it was the end of January, we were all here on the Saturday setting up and getting everything ready for all of you to come and experience this wonderful first Sunday celebration. And out of the corner of my eye, all of a sudden, I saw Caitlin running straight for me full speed ahead, and then she wrapped her arms around me like this, holding me tight, and with a big grin on her face, she said, it's so fun here. I don't know if I ever want to leave. That's the feeling of home, and there's no place like it. That's why I have loved this message series called Welcome Home. And it wraps up today with welcome home to a house of miracles. In the last couple of weeks, we've said welcome home to a house of prayer. 
And last week, it was welcome home to a house of worship. But you know what happens when you're a house of prayer and you're a house of worship? It leads to being a house of miracles. The miracle of this place and the vibrancy of faith that we are beginning to experience in this church like never before is the fruit of five years of being a church where we are a house of prayer and a house of welcome. Albert Einstein said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as if nothing is a miracle, and the other is as if everything is. Well, you might say, I've never experienced a miracle before, but with all due respect, you never haven't. In fact, you are a miracle, and you're sitting in a miracle. This is indeed a house of miracles. We just celebrated that with Matthew and Fitz a few moments ago. This is indeed a house of miracles. There are people all over this city still scratching their heads, trying to figure out how we, little old First Press, got this prime piece of property in South Tampa. That is a miracle because it doesn't exist out there. Equally in awe, especially our pastors watching us from around the country that we know, and they've said, you are enjoying the miracle of alignment. Many churches split over moves like this one from downtown to here. Not to mention a gigantic building project. We are also enjoying the miracle of generosity. And we know that from the report that you all just gave us, for which we can't thank God enough. But all of this encourages us to remember that God wants to do the impossible in us as a church, but also in you as individuals. He did it before in biblical times, and nothing, nothing has changed. Not who he is, not what he does, not the way he does it. We serve a God of miracles. Except that I bet many of us, if not most of us, have prayed for a miracle before. And we've been deeply disappointed because the miracle didn't happen. Jackie, Kathy, John, I know that you're online with us this morning. And we have been praying for you, Jackie, for nine and a half years. That's why sometimes singing more than able is super hard. 
You are more than able. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? And sometimes that encourages me so much that I sing it with this robustness and joy and hope and fervor, but there are times when I'm thinking, then why don't you? Especially for you, Jackie. But I have witnessed too many miracles in your lives, in my life, and in this church to not believe that with God, all things are possible. So I we are going to keep asking for Jackie, as McLean did this morning. I am going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep praying about the things that seem impossible in my life. And I hope you will too. One of the most honest prayers in the entire Bible is found in Mark chapter 9. When a dad cries out to Jesus for help for his son. Mark tells us that this son has a demon somehow present in his life. It describes it as an unclean spirit that causes him to have convulsions and seizures that look a lot like epilepsy. And scholars believe that it may have been epilepsy. However, Mark, the gospel writer, makes it very clear that the evil one is at work attacking this family, is at work in this story. It is so easy to read stories in scripture, in the Bible, and forget how personal they are. Though Mark doesn't give us this detail, this dad that cries out to Jesus, he has a name. He has a wife and a job. And he cries out to Jesus, and this is how Jesus responds in verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's dad, how long has he been like this? And the dad said, from his childhood. Now the Greek is very clear here. It doesn't say from birth. It says from his childhood. So apparently, when his son was born, everything was normal until it wasn't. And this family begin to realize that something is terribly wrong. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, we're given the additional detail that when the dad comes crying to Jesus, that he falls on his face in front of Jesus in desperation. Why? Because there's no pain quite like kid pain. If you're a parent, you know that. 
And so this dad goes on to explain and describe the torment that his son has been enduring in the next verse. The dad then said, it, meaning the evil one, has often thrown my son into the fire or water to destroy him. Think about it. This family lives on the Sea of Galilee. Every step that this boy has taken in his childhood is in or around water. And his parents cook on an open fire at least three times a day. So what the dad is trying to say to Jesus is that every aspect of this boy's life is one in which the evil one seems to be attacking and making difficult and threatening his very life. So no wonder the dad goes on to say this in verse 22 and 23. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. If you can said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. There it is. So honest. Have you been there? I have. Jesus, I believe. I'm trying to believe. I want to believe. Help me, Jesus, overcome my unbelief. But the good news is, it isn't about how much faith you or I do or do not have. It's about the object of our faith, Jesus that can move mountains. Jesus doesn't say to this dad, look, you don't have enough faith. So why don't you go and get your faith up to miracle level, and then when your faith increases even a little bit, come back and see me. No, 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 that's not how this goes. In fact, Jesus, heals the boy. But this story doesn't end quite like you might imagine. Let's look at the last two verses. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This kind can only come out by prayer. I want to show you a group of people who came to understand that what Jesus is saying is true. When we come to him in prayer with our belief and our unbelief. Standing next to me in this group is Sandy Pack, and she's standing right there with her daughter, Natalie, Natalie Rainey. Sandy is Natalie Rainey's mom. 
Lisa Turner's mom, if you happen to know one of them in our community. And right before we left on this trip, just a few weeks prior, Sandy Pack found out that she had cancer and that the cancer had filled her entire abdominal cavity. And it was so serious that her surgeon wanted to do surgery on her immediately, followed by intensive chemotherapy. But Sandy insisted when she met with her doctor that she go on this trip, so much to his dismay and, and deep concern, she came with us. But he made her promise that she would do the surgery immediately upon her return. Our guides in the Holy Land did something amazing. They arranged for us to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's a picture of one of the trees there. We were able to be in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus spent many hours in prayer alone and with his disciples. He spent time there with them, encouraging them, teaching them, loving them. And so we too sat under these trees for this one private hour just to ourselves in the garden, no one else. And we immersed into all the passages we could find where Jesus was in that garden in prayer. And then I sent everyone out so that they could have some time alone with Jesus in the same way that Jesus himself did in that very garden. Well, after a few minutes of private prayer, I felt the Lord nudging me to pray for a miracle for Sandy Pack. So I was like, oh, okay, Lord. So we all came together as a group under these trees, and we formed a circle around Sandy, and we laid hands on her, and we began praying. And after several of us prayed, one of the group members, Nancy Flodo, who's a member of this church, and one of the most no-nonsense people you'll ever meet, said, my hand was shaking during the prayer. And someone standing next to her said, I, I saw that. And another person, who is just as no-nonsense, and I think it was you, Gina, was it you? Who said, I can't remember who the person was, but they said, my hand was as hot as fire while we were praying. So after those two comments, Sandy Pack then said, well, that's it. I believe that I've been healed. And when we go back home, I'm going to make the doctor do all the scans all over again. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. Please, Jesus. So when we got back to Tampa, Sandy met with her surgeon, who thought he was going to be reviewing with her the plan and how the surgery was going to go. But instead, Sandy said, no, I want you to do all of my scans and tests again. The doctor was 
actually upset with her, even angry, and said, no, 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 we, we cannot wait. We have already gone way too long. We need to get this surgery done. We cannot wait. You need to get this done. You need to get the chemo done. She said, no, I want you to do these scans for me. I will pay for them. I don't care about the insurance. We're doing it. So he acquiesced. And a couple of days later, he invited her into his office for the next consult. She sat down and he had her scans in front of him. And he was going, I don't know what happened. You don't have cancer. You have these couple of spots that I'm not even worried about. But I, I, can't, I can't explain this. She said, I can tell you exactly what happened. Believe me when I tell you, Jesus healed me. And he said, I can't. I've got to think about this more. I, I can't. But the reason that you and I can believe for the miraculous is because the greatest miracle of all time has already happened. And that is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on Easter Sunday. The empty tomb is the foundation of our faith. Because if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. Just as Jesus promised that dad, anything is possible. In the face of whatever seems impossible in your life right now, I want you to think about the fact that when you have doubt and when you have disbelief, Jesus will meet you right where you are. So I want you to take a moment and think about the thing that you've been praying to Jesus for, that impossible thing that you've been asking him for help, for healing, for transformation, Consider it for just a moment. And then would you join me in repeating this courageous prayer, this honest prayer that we learned from this dad so long ago. Would you repeat after me? Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, our hearts are so full of gratitude that we can lean into you as the object of our faith and that miracles and transformation and healing and help is not dependent on our ability to have enough faith but that you welcome us when we can barely believe and that you understand that we have 
times of doubt and times of disbelief, thank you that that never stops you from acting on our behalf. Oh Lord, would you take this matter in your hands, this impossible thing that is in front of us, in our lives, this thing that just seems like it's never going to change, Father, that has impossibility written all over it, but you are the God of impossible things, and with you all things are possible. Thank you that the resurrection proved that to be true. Help us to lean into you, the miracle maker, the one who moves mountains, the object of our faith, and help us to just be honest when we can barely believe. Amen.